Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions Mental Health Podcast with me, Luke. This is weird. I've not done this in a while. I feel like I've not put out a podcast episode in so, so long that I kind of forgot how to do this. So I don't know how this intro is going to go. It's going to be a bit of a bit of a ramble probably. But I'm putting this episode out now as a special edition and as a sort of bonus episode because series that's just gone of the stress sessions finished and it finished quite abruptly because this one was probably meant to go out a little bit earlier than what I'm doing it <laughs> I've not put out a podcast episode other than the the live that I did back in September for I don't know months it's been months but I recorded this episode back in March, so March 2023, which was nine months ago. And I was intended on putting it out back then, but then something came to my attention where I sort of thought, do you know what? I quite want to hold this one back because of the significant occasion that is happening soon for the person that's on the podcast. And it was the first one that I'd done face-to-face ever for the stress sessions, other than obviously the live. And it just feels really weird to be recording this now. And it's, uh, I suppose I should be a bit honest, really, because I have stopped doing these as much. I've sort of stopped doing them altogether. And I think when I first started doing the stress sessions, It was to kind of help me speak about my own journey, my own mental health. And it really helped me. And I think I started this at a time when I was in a really low place. And don't get me wrong, I still struggle with my mental health a lot. But I've still got mad anxiety all the time. And on some days, I feel pretty shit. Like, pretty shit. And there's... There's been a few days, weeks, months over the past couple of months where I've been a bit like, do you know what? This is shit. This is really shit. So don't don't think that I'm not doing this because I can't be bothered. It's because one, I sort of need a bit of a break from it um, and speaking to other people about their mental health. Because obviously this, again, like I said, this this was a bit of a, a bit of a therapy for me at the beginning because I was sort of speaking about my own journey and, and as it's moved into speaking to other people, um, I still get to tell bits about my story and sort of link into what they're saying. But it's I think having that break for me has been really, it's been vital because I've been struggling. I've been struggling recently and I think concentrating on yourself and taking the time to to look after yourself and make sure that you're okay is the I think the priority and I think it should be a priority for all of us because if you're not looking after yourself you're not looking after others and those around you to the best of your ability so I think that's why I've taken a bit of a step back from these and the the live show came sort of out of the blue and it happened and it was amazing like a massive, massive thank you to to Rich Wilson, to Eddie Brett, and to Will Webster, who who are my guests for that show. 
and thanks to everybody that came like you guys made it such a memorable night it was honestly i can't i can't describe how i felt like how nervous i felt before i stepped onto the stage and how kind of how much of a buzz that i had like throughout those interviews and afterwards and like i was exhausted by the end of that night i i went we because we we went for drinks afterwards some of us went for drinks afterwards um at a local bar and i was a bit like i just want to get into bed because i was just mentally exhausted from trying to sort of hold those conversations for the past two hours but honestly what what a night thank you so much to everybody that came and it's it's probably going to be a one-off i don't see me doing one of those again never say never because it can come back to bite you on the ass, can't it but for me that was just one thing i wanted to sort of tick off and be like do you know what that that was awesome i've done that i've pushed myself again and public speaking for me scares scares the shit out of me so um to do that was was amazing but enough about that let's talk about today's guest and stress sessions this obviously this is a bonus episode it's coming out around christmas time and this person i i think it was one of the first ones that i recorded of, of, of the, the series just gone but like i said at the start of this episode it came to light that this person is about to break a record and he's a footballer and the record that he is about to break is making the most league appearances for a single EFL club. So he's beating the record for the most appearances for basically a football team in, in the UK. And at the minute, that record's held by a guy called John Trollope, who made 770 league appearances for Swindon Town between 1960 and 1980. So this is a pretty fucking big record. Um, and the person that I'm speaking to has played for this club since 2004. So what's that? 20 years. 20 years he's played for this club. And the record that he's going to... If he if he appears in the next match, he'll be the joint record holder with 770 appearances. And if he beats it and appears again, that's 771. And that record will be pretty tough to beat because it's obviously it's taken 20 years. Let's get into it. The person I'm speaking to is club captain, local legend, captain of the MK Dons, Dean Lewington. And what a bloody lovely guy he was. I was, you'll, you'll hear in a minute when I start cracking on with this episode because I've rambled on like I said. Lovely guy, lovely, lovely guy. I was very nervous. I hadn't done a face-to-face one before. I was very nervous. And his PR manager was sitting with us. Again, lovely guy. Like, really, like, they were so, so accommodating. But I was I was scared. And again, this is another thing that pushed me out of my comfort zone. So, here we go. Let's get into it. This is the Stress Sessions with Dean Lewington.
My name is Dean Lewington and I'm a football player for MK Dons. And this, this is the one question I ask to literally every person that comes on, but what's the one song that puts you in a really happy, positive mood? Oh, kind of by surprise there. Um, uh, probably, I don't know, probably Waterloo Sunset by the Kinks, something like that. Nice, good choice. Like so a good tune, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a happy song, yeah. Yeah. Is there like any songs that you play in the dressing room or anything that you think, oh, that's that's a good song to get me going, like have a good game, stuff like that? Not, oh, no, I change room music's <laughs> awful. I don't know. <laughs> it was the old um, Tom used to, to, to do it, and it was it's just random noise. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. There's nothing I'd pick out to actually, you know, at home or in the car, I listen to. So it's just um, I don't know what genre they even come under, but it's just noise, yeah. So yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll run through these questions but I'll probably like deviate from them as we go through but what do you think to be a footballer and you've been like a, a professional for like years and years now it's like 19, 20 years isn't it yeah do you think you have to be mentally strong to be a footballer uh, yeah I think you do I think there's probably a different skill set I mean depends how you define strong I suppose but um, it's obviously a, a job in the public eye and so you have the pressures of your job as a normal job, plus you're in the public eye. So, you know, a bad performance, uh, the team not winning or you know, a mistake is, you know, you know about it straight away. And obviously, you know, fans can be great and also be pretty cutting sometimes. And so um, you have to deal with that kind of level of criticism. And it's a kind of strange job where you have your number two is also your teammate. And so you have that weird relationship of like your mates, but at the same time, there's someone sitting directly next to you in the change room who's trying to take your place in the team. And it's kind of that, that competition is, uh, is, is tough. And so you need, you know, I think you need a strong mental toughness to, to cope with it. Or do you think that, because obviously like your dad's like been a massive part of, of the game too, being from a footballing family, do you think that you've had that extra pressure put on you? Because you've, I mean, you've, you've managed a few times here, and yeah. you've, you've played so many like top level games. Like, has that been an added pressure? Do you think? Um, maybe a tiny bit. I mean, I was quite. I mean, dad, had, dad had a good career, and then probably, I, I suppose, at the back end of his career was was more of a successful career, of which he was more well known. So I think when we were younger, um, unless you really was a football fan. You know, he wasn't noticeably someone. You know, he wasn't Kenny Dalglish's son, or um, you know, one of the big names in football at the time. So I think you were sort of dad was known in football, but probably to football people only really. Um, and as his career got better towards the end, I'd almost kind of played and found my way a little bit. And so I think that kind of pressure of being someone's son, um, it it wasn't wasn't too bad for me. I don't think. That's quite a nice way to sort of look at it as well because I suppose like because you'd already started your career while he was like still in, in football it, it kind of like took the spot off of you I guess a little bit yeah and um, you know we never um, you know when I was younger I never played for any teams that my dad was at um, you know when we were at Fulham we didn't we didn't go down there as kids we didn't I think if, you know when you're you have a parent that's at a club maybe and you go there the automatic assumption is that you're only there because you're dad yeah. and so um we were quite careful to sort of distance ourselves, really, in terms of both our careers. So, you know, if you look at mine, I think it's kind of it's standalone, separate to dad. Maybe not really cross paths or had that sort of involvement, which I think helps sort of define 
define my, myself, I think. Yeah, because it's, like, now you mentioned it, it's like every sort of like father-son has played play for that team, haven't they? And it's like, that's, yeah, it's, pre- it's a pretty good achievement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there have been, uh, so when we was growing up, dad's good friend from Chelsea was, was Ray Wilkins. Mm-hmm. And so his boy, Ross, like Ray was, you know, if Ray went, stood on the side of the pitch, it's Ray, it's Ray Wilkins and everyone knows him, everyone's seen him play. Um, my dad at the time, when he was playing, was before really Sky and those kind of so like you know you, you're a lot less well known, especially down the leagues. Yeah. Obviously, the top level was still high exposure, and I think from seeing people with really famous dads, like really famous dads, that is a real added pressure because every like I think Beckham's boys now are getting it where you know no one gives them a chance. Everything straight away is negative, and they're only there because of their dad. And you know it, it's a real tough one for for kids growing up with that. You know, if you have a, like a, a really famous dad, I think it's it's, it's difficult. Yeah, because he's gone to Brentford P, hasn't he? Brent, yeah. For looking at Brooklyn Beckham, and it's like he's getting so much shit. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. <laughs> I know no one's ever seen him play, but apparently, you know, no, if you listen to the papers, he's this and he's that, and it's just like, just give him a chance. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, and it's Brentford P, so it's like he's not just gone straight into the first team. Of course, yeah. It's like he's got there for his own merit, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've, I've asked this to a few of the people that have been on the podcast, and it's like, so I asked it to, to Carl. Um, and Matt, Matt Smith's been on been on the podcast in the first series as well um, back from when he played for Man City do you think that du- during your career over the past 20 odd years has kind of the, the outlook on mental health within football changed quite a lot would you say um, I think the talk around it has, has changed a lot yeah there's been a lot more emphasis on, on that side of thing um, I think it's probably spoke about more in public around football rather than actually in football still I think I don't, I don't think there's a stigma around it in the change room or with managers or anything like that but it's it's kind of a job where um, you know you put your hand up and say I'm not quite right it could be a month out of the team two months out of the team it could be that the person comes in and you never get to play again so it's it, it's a it's a hard one to really for people to really express how they feel. So I think a lot of the time it, it is bottled up. But I think there's more, I know the PFA are doing a lot of work. The clubs are trying to promote it and trying to get that. But it's, it's still an industry where it's so performance driven and you only have a limited amount of time that to, to pull yourself out is it, really hard. And it's, um, you know, I think it's a lot more, I think people are a lot more open to it now and, and uh, probably got more chance of it happening. But, it's, it's just a really difficult. I've not seen many come forward and say at the time that they're struggling with, with something. And um, I think maybe as, like, as a captain, sometimes you, you do notice people's form dip off now. And you know, you'll say something like, Is everything right? Are you okay? And stuff. But it is still a guarded place. You know, people are like, I think their first answer is, Yeah, I'm fine. And it's kind of you know, not widely spoke about. But I think it's slightly starting to creep in. But I think a lot more focus from the outside looking in, definitely. Yeah, because you kind of think sometimes like a player's got an injury and they've, they've like, I don't know, twisted their ankle or like pulled something or whatever and they'll, the manager will go, oh yeah, they've got, they've got a sprained ankle so they're out for X amount of time. It's like a lot of those injuries that are reported as like actual injuries must be mental health like stuff as well um, because like it's, you're playing such a high profile sport with like cameras in front of you all the time and 
you, you do have, you're under a lot of pressure in you so it's like you must sort of like sometimes think oh shit like I'm not feeling too good today and if you've had a, had a bad performance you must think oh need to pick myself up again like go again it must be quite difficult to be in that environment like 24-7 and then like just keep going and be at that top level sort of constantly yeah it's just it's, you know a lot of fixtures so it's like Saturday to Tuesday um, you know, Saturday you could have been all four giveaway goal the team lost you know you've come off feeling absolutely horrific and then you're back in Sunday Monday the team's announced and like you've got to be presented in the front of I'm okay to go again if you need me. Um, you know, and hopefully you do get that and you get a chance to redeem yourself sometimes you're out of the team and then, you know, it can just snowballs and you know, it can really affect people. Um but it, it's just I mean I don't I don't know really how you, you can change it. I mean in, I think in the old days I know the culture was more um it was more sort of like the drinking culture was around and I know that's changed a lot, but a lot of that I think was People dealing with pressure. Mm-hmm. I think you know after a game you play on a Saturday, and whatever happened, a couple of drinks would take that, you know, almost numb you to what happened. And hopefully on Sunday when you wake up, you know you, you've kind of processed it a bit more. I think nowadays <clears throat> you can't go out drinking anymore. Um, you know, there's just no space for it. And so I think a lot of times it's you having to deal with it yourself. Um, and I don't think sometimes people are equipped to do that. I think they find it hard. And I think that's where you see it eking out in. Know, gambling or different kind of stuff because it's just um, people just trying to struggle and like, process stuff sometimes and you know, it's, it's quite difficult have you I mean you don't have to like say or who or whatever but have you ever come across like somebody in your career where you where they sort of come up to you and they've been struggling and then they've not not exactly like failed as a footballer but would you say that their, their career's taken a knock and that, that's been their experience because they've suffered with them in a well um, I've never had someone had a conversation like that before um, I've known since I've finished playing um, a few have come out and said that they um, that when they was here they were, they were struggling struggling with it and uh, I think that's what's quite surprising is that it's not that you know you, you think it'd be really easy to pick up and the boys that come up and said afterwards that they were at the time they were you know, in a bad place I had no idea I had no idea I, you know they'd probably been the people I would have least picked in the whole team mm-hmm. um and uh, I know when we had, uh, I think when we had Andros here, um, you know, went on to have a fantastic career. But I know um, he struggled a bit with his, with, with his gambling and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think it might, when he was here, I think he was he was staying a lot. And I think that's where the betting might have started. Um, but it didn't really have a negative effect until maybe five, ten years down the line when it sort of manifested itself into, into bigger stuff. But at the time, it's really hard. It's really hard to pick, to pick it up and. Um, yeah, so I've never actually had anyone in person sort of come up and, and speak about it. Again, you don't have to answer this, but what would you say if somebody did come up to you and said, oh, I'm struggling at the minute, is there anything you'd be like, oh, I can help you with this, or like, you, you can speak to me, or like, what would you sort of like say or do? Um, I don't know, I mean, I'd just try and be a good friend, really. I mean, I would, you know, if, if they want to talk, I'd listen. If they just want to go and sit... Somewhere and not say a word. You go and do that. No, what, I think you just got led by what that person sort of how they're coming across. I think if it was as simple as a bit of advice would solve their problems, they probably wouldn't be coming to me for that bit of advice because they'd have probably worked it out already. So you know, it'd normally be a complex issue. But you just, I think I'd just try and be the best friend I could and, and try and support them. And if I knew, you know, anyone that could help them or anyone in the field where I felt like 
you know, I point you in this direction that might help, then I would try and do that. But um, yeah, I think I just you know, try and be an ear. I think. Yeah, I think that sometimes that's the best way to be in it. You just need to like be able to listen and make sure they're all right, and then maybe just keep an eye on them. I think. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, like in in a professional game like football, it's like people are quite closed off. I think and don't want to speak about that sort of thing so I think sometimes you just need to like just chat not sh- not even chat like just f- for me like just to air your laundry sort of thing and just yeah yeah like, it'd probably be as well it'd, it'd probably be trust as well that it, it doesn't go further than that I think you know I said like it's I think people are aware of talking about it too much just because of the nature of the game um, like you'd hope that conversation if someone had it with me it, would, it stays with me I wouldn't go and you know, tell the manager or tell someone because then, you know, that person's chosen you for a reason and, mm. you know, you'd like to think that you'd keep it between yourselves and unless you could f- help someone by pointing them in that direction. So I think that, that side of it as well is to be that kind of a confident, really, that, you know, they know that whatever they say to you stays with you sort of thing. And have you ever experienced, like, anything like that in your career where you've struggled, like, with mental illness or you've had, like, a part of your career where you're like, oh, that's, that was, like, a really hard year or anything like that? Because I've I mean, like I said, you've been in the game for 20 years, and this like you've you've had so much responsibility, like captain for like years and years, um, like manage the team and like played in all the leagues. Like, has, has there been a point where you thought, oh shit, that that was really hard? Um, I think when we had uh, when uh, uh, Robbie Nielsen was here, so we had like a falling out, and um, I remember he said to, uh, argument. He said, listen, from now on. <clears throat> like you're, you're banned from the club basically like you're not, you won't play for the club ever again and basically you're not to set set foot anywhere really like you know that's that's you done sort of thing it was I don't know November actually it was early, early, October October something like that the season um, I remember just getting in my car and you just sort of you don't really know what to do because it's such a weird situation you're kind of like you're shaking a little bit and you're just like what would I do and I drove home and then spoke to a few people and you're just like you know there was no real option for me. Really, I had, to, I had to stay away from the club, so I had to, I had to go and train with Charlton. And um, you know, you effectively you haven't got a job. You know, you, you can't go mm. back to the club as while he's there, and there's, there's nothing you can really do because um, the manager's the be all and end all. So, you know, the chairman might want to help, or other people might want to help, but in the, the day, they have to back the manager because if they don't back the manager, then they back you. Then the manager has to go. So, like. Yeah, yeah. like the hierarchy kicks in and unfortunately you're you're at the bottom of it when it comes to things like that and um, so I had about three months at home sort of away from the lads um, sort of no real football no games and it's, it's really tough it's really hard and um, I was lucky that we just had my eldest so she was what she had been she had been four months old oh wow um, and that really kept me going really for that period of just being at home and you know, I couldn't train, but I could, I could be with my, with my girl and, and do walks and stuff like that. So I was, I was really lucky that that coincided with that point of our lives where um, where that happened. But yeah, that was that was a really tough, tough time, and it, it sort of all resolved itself. But um, you are sort of you know the panic kicks in, and um, you think, well, I'm going to have to leave the club. Where am I going to go? You know, I've got a young family. You know, if it's Scunthorpe or Hartlepool, like. Do we have to move? Do we have to? You no, know, it's all the stuff that you start worrying about um, at that point. So it's you know it's a stressful situation, and um, I was lucky it was only really two or three months. But 
and it resolved itself. But yeah, I remember it being being quite tough. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine how you felt doing it, being like that. But it's like, I, like you said, it did come at a good time because you got, got to spend time with your daughter. But is, is there anything that you did like during that period that you, that you put, did you put like a routine in place like to like keep training or like did you do anything to like help yourself kind of thing? Yeah, I was I was really lucky that um, uh, Carl was at uh, Carl Robinson was at Charlton, um, and we always had a really good relationship and. Um, I spoke to Carl and said, like, I've got nowhere to train sort of thing. And he said, you can come in and, and, and train here. And so just having that um, structure of training, I think I was only training three times a week, though, because Fridays they was doing their match prep and stuff, and so it was a bit private, and Mondays were um, just a warm down, so it was, there was no real point in me going in. But the three days during the, the week I went in and trained, and uh, I was training at home, at the, the fitness coach, um, of the team was really good to me to fair and sent through programme and stuff so I was sort of um, preparing myself that if not for Milton Keynes but in January I'd like to, to play somewhere and so you know I think you had a day or two of feeling sorry for yourself and then it's well we, we, you, know, you have to do something like so that for me it was just focus on training trying to get myself fit um, keeping in shape trying to keep my week as normal as possible but obviously um, Saturdays were always hard because Saturdays for footballers is you know, yeah. game day and just you know, getting up and sitting at home and watching the scores come in was probably the worst bit about it really. So I mean as a footballer like, I've never really thought about it like this before but it must be quite routine because you have like training on set days you have your matches on set days um, I imagine like I, I, I don't know but like your like, dinners and food and stuff like that must be quite routine and then if you get kicked out of that you're like, oh shit! What? <laughs> it just all goes out the window, doesn't it? So, yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's like every human being. Like, if you got a job and you sort of get told, oh, you can't come in today, you're like, what do I do now? It must be, it must be a really weird experience. Yeah, it must it's be even weirder for you. It's footballer. and footballers always think that like, people think sometimes you've got really exciting lives and, and what, but we are like the most boring, regimented people that you. I mean, your whole life is, you know, you're told what you can have for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. You eat at certain times. You train at certain times, you get weighed at certain times, you get watered at certain times, you get all this kind of stuff in your life is is planned and then even your off-season is, you know, you get two weeks of actual free time and then the rest is you're training from home and so then it's training your weight, um, all this kind of stuff that... And so you become a creature of habit. It is literally you elite, you know, about 900 or something pre-matches of chicken beans and pasta which <laughs> drive you insane but it's just you know that you have to do it and so you, you do become a creature of habit and so I think when you're out of that it, it, it does throw you and I think it's what when footballers retire it's what throws them the most is not so much the play and it's just the, the routine of your life and, and that kind of side that all of a sudden just drops off and it's there's no one to tell me what what to do anymore sort of thing it's, it's a weird place when you, don't, you have no one to say like you know that's been at a certain time and there's, there's, there's nothing to do it's, it's strange how did you deal with lockdown? Because that must have been really weird but for you guys because it's just a sort of... I mean, everybody struggled a little bit, didn't they? But it's... You're used to people coming to the games and like seeing fans and seeing like, the people that you work with and your like, teammates and that. What, how, did, how did that go? It was, the first part of lockdown um, was we, we still felt like we were was, we was going to come back and so we had... Um, we had training 
targets that we have to go out for runs every day and, and do certain stuff. Um, and to be fair, the first part of lockdown, I really, I, luckily, luckily again, I've been quite good my time in. I had my second daughter on February the 28th, and then lockdown was March the 12th or 13th, mm. whatever. So um, for me, again, it was, it was I was at home with like a new baby, so it was, it was actually quite a good time in. Um, the weather was actually really nice as well yeah, at that yeah. time, and uh, and my my best mate moved in next door in our little close, and so at the start of lockdown, I was actually having a, a really nice time because it was you now I'd go out from a run in the morning and then uh, we'd have like a barbecue in the afternoon. The kids would play out in the street, like we was just in our little close. We was like a little bubble sort of thing, um, and so I was having quite a nice time. To be fair, it was quite it was quite good at yeah, the start, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then you you start missing football and it, you do start missing it and then um, when we first come back load of testing um, you know you couldn't stay at the ground you had to just come in and go which was hard to get that camaraderie you know when you just sort of turn up train for an hour and then it was back in your cars and you couldn't hang around couldn't do that kind of stuff and then the games were the games were really strange the first couple were, were really strange at first actually quite nice because it was it was like a pure football game, so there was no, yeah, there was yeah. no emotion in it that you get from the crowd. You know, yeah. you're obviously, your own emotion, but there was no sort of outside pressure on you. And so it was, it was just pure football, which was quite weird. You don't normally get that where you, you know, you turn up at Sunderland, and Sunderland's normally a really hard place to go, and you know, good fans, and and then you turn up, and well, there's no one there, so it doesn't, it doesn't. No, you don't get that sort of feeling, um, but that soon wore off, and then it become, become a bit sterile and a bit. Um, not like it didn't matter, but that feeling of not only if you lose that, you know, you just you just sort of feel rock bottom and then if very the crowd are not clapping or booing or like there's some sort of reaction to your performance straight away mm. and you can feel it. You come to change room and in lockdown you sort of you lost and you just shake hands, say well done, you walk in the change room. You didn't feel that. You never got that sort of heaviness never come down on you, which was said at the start quite nice. But as it went on, just got it just didn't feel right, and you just sort of you realise how much football is that interaction with the fans. It's like, it's it's probably more than what than what you'd have thought before lockdown. Like you'd never have thought they'd have that much impact. But but it was yeah, it was really strange. It kind of like takes the emotion out of it, doesn't it? Because it's mm-hmm. like the the emotion that you get from like the crowd and like just people clapping or even like booing or whatever. It's yeah. like at least they're, they're they're doing something, and it's like. I suppose if you're just playing with any fan, it's like kind of it's even worse than like Sunday league football when there's like your dad on the side <laughs> and whatever. Isn't it? It's, it just yeah, I, yeah, couldn't imagine it because I've, I mean I've not been to matches there, but I couldn't imagine like there being nobody and must yeah. be quite eerie. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. Uh, even even when we have fans, it, 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 it feels similar <laughs> sometimes. On on the Tuesday night, it does feel quite similar. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a strange. It was a strange reaction, and you could hear a bit from the benches. Normally, hear our chairman used to shout to you. You could hear Pete sometimes <laughs> having a shout up, but um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a shame. And, and to be fair, that season we, we had a really slow start to the season. Um, a lot of young players, and with Russ, we were trying to change completely the way we played. Um, and so a lot of mistakes were made because we were trying to play a certain style. And I think it actually helped in a small way because you know if, if you play out from the back and you get it wrong. You can feel that the nervousness creeps into the stadium, and you know, the fans are like, "Get it forward, don't take risks." And you can hear it all from the side. Not having that allowed us to do it, make mistakes, 
and get better at doing it. And I think the back half of the season, we had a really good back half of the season. And then that was the team pretty much for <clears throat> last year where we, we, yeah. you know, we had a good season. But I think a lot of that come through in a weird way through lockdown, through being just all of that pressure taken off of you in the stands. It allowed a certain brand of football that I think if the fans were in, they would have, they'd have definitely had something to say about it at the start because when you're not getting it right, you know, get it forward, stop mucking around with it. It's not, that would have crept in. So in a, in a small way, I kind of it, ups and downs, I suppose, uh, to it, yeah. You saw that last season as well because I, I, I remember coming to the, I think it's the first game of the season was Sunderland, wasn't it, last yeah. season? It's like lost 2-1. It's like the performance was like so good, and I was like, I started watching Arsenal. <laughs> it like, literally was. I was like, I like, plant from the back. It's, yeah, I was, I was like, oh. And I was, cause I got my season ticket last season. Um, yeah. No reason to add that in. But <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> just uh, from what you said, yeah, I totally saw that. But when. Um, I'm just trying to figure out where I've got two more questions now. Okay, again, this is. You don't have to answer answer this one because it's, it's quite personal. But have you have you or somebody close to you struggled with mental illness, and did, how did you deal with that? Um, I'm lucky enough that I I never have. Um, my best mate has had a pretty rough time of it. To be fair, um, so he's just got back from he went to Africa six months ago, something like that. For did about three months rehab out there. Um, so I've sort of. Had it, had it close to me really because you know for the last three or four years he's, he's been sort of struggling with it a little bit so um, you know it's, it's been really difficult because um, it can be really frustrating for people to be close to someone that's got something like that because um, and not till we like explain he, he finds it really hard to explain how he feels and I see the world a certain way and when he tells me about certain feelings it's I have no idea what he's trying to like. It, I just don't get the feelings that he. Yeah. You know, if we're in a conversation, he'll say to me like, "I'm, I'm like, you're right," and he's like, "I'm, I'm literally thinking I want to go and put a bet on now. I want to, I want to go and do something." And I was like, "But why? Like, we're at a restaurant. How have you? How, how are you thinking about this?" And he's just like, "This is what, this is what, like, this is what it is. Living like he was like when I'm controlling stuff." I still had this, like, it's not, doesn't go in my head. I, I never have that feeling of, I need to do this or do that. And so it's kind of, for me, it took a long while to sort of understand uh, kind of what he has to deal with, mm. you know, because at the start, you're just like, well, just stop doing it, stop drinking, stop doing drugs, stop betting, stop all the other kind of stuff, just stop doing like, don't don't go out or don't do this. But obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, it is. But your initial reaction is because I don't have that is well, just don't do it like just grow up don't and then uh, you know as it's the last four or five years or whatever he's had three five four years of it um, just sort of kind of on on his path as well really like you know he's sort of learning stuff and you pick it up along the way and um, you know, all through it I've never we've always been mates like you know always picked up a phone and I. It didn't come like the postcard. My daughter's christening didn't turn up because he was out the night before. Got in a bad way and then felt embarrassed. Didn't want to come, but then you know, as annoyed as what you are, like a couple weeks later, you ring him and just like, "Are you all right? What's going on?" Like because he's your mate, you have to sort of you know you stick by him. But yeah, so I've had I've had him quite close and it's, you know, it's been an eye opener really because 
as I said, I'm, I wasn't particularly, uh, I couldn't understand it at the start. That's good though, like, that you stuck by him. Because again, like going back to what we said earlier, like, it's, it's just him being able to speak to you would be massive for him. Like, and you probably didn't even realise that at the start. You probably thought, oh, it's just him being him again, sort of thing. But yeah, like just having that person to speak to is like such a help. Um, and like, so with me, it's like me and my wife. Like, I've, I've had like anxiety and depression for about eight years now, um, and my wife didn't have a clue like what what was going on in my head until I started speaking to her. And, like, but for years, I was just a bit like, okay, it's secret because it's just. It's fucking embarrassing, <laughs> basically. But um, like now, I've started speaking about it. It's fine. Like I, yeah. I do feel a little better for it. And I'm, and I'm sure like your mate feels the same. Like he probably bottled out for years and years and years. Yeah. Nobody knew about it. And like because he speaks to you, he feels a little bit better. Even yeah. if it's a little bit. Yeah. He's, yeah. And I feel like when he when he come back from um, South Africa, because it, it was kind of like I think it was in there. I didn't. I think there was a depression in there for him. That was probably the root cause of all the other behaviours at the start, um, which he never really dealt with. And um, <clears throat> when he sort of come back, he was kind of trying to ex- explain it. And he was sort of saying, like, as you said then, about the secrets and stuff. So he was saying, like, for as much as what I knew, which I thought was about 90%, because I always felt like he didn't tell me everything, but I thought 90%. I, I think in the end, he said, like, I hid so much because I could, I'd feel comfortable saying so much. But then... I'd almost feel bad in myself for what I've done or how I was behaving or how I was feeling that I would never tell you the 100%. So, like, he had those secrets as well, which I think, you know, just keeps it all shown, doesn't it? And then it becomes, yeah. that, that grows and becomes massive and then, you know, you tell another one or you keep something else and it just keeps on rolling. But um, I think since he's come back, he's, he's learned, when I speak to him now, like, he's changed, like, a lot in his, the way he talks, like, he talks to you and you know you're speaking to him rather than, so I think he'd been on a few courses and been to a few people, and I think he learnt to say the right things. But I don't think he actually felt like it wasn't. Yeah, fr- yeah. It, it wasn't. It was just what someone told him he should feel like or how he should deal with it. And then I speak to him now, and I actually feel like I'm speaking to him properly, like he used to be when he was, when he was younger. Like he has, like he's cut out that like, sort of layer of you know, you know, just stuff that people say that you have to say or that kind of stuff. So it's it's been good to be fair, and it's it's nice to see him come out the other side. No, positive. I think as well with like, him going to rehab and stuff, you have to want to do that. You don't like you, you can't just have somebody tell you, "Oh, you need to do this." Cause you've got to want to do it. Because I've, I've done it like quite recently. I, I stopped drinking uh, in 2021, so like the end of 2021, I've, I've not drank for over a year now. Um, and I tried to do it a few years ago, and I was like, "I can't do it. I literally can't do it." And you've you've got to have like that will help with inside of you before. Yeah. Like anybody else tells you to do it, um, I've done it. You know, we just feel like oh, I'm proud of that. But it, you do have to want to do it yourself. And like, I guess he he's he's done yeah. it now, which is good. Well, he had he had family put him in. Uh, I think he might, he might have gone through three or four rehab things, but all through family and uh, girlfriends and whatever putting him into it. Um, and then this one was the first one that he was like, I need to do it myself. Like, I'm gonna take myself away and just. No, get it sorted this time because I think he would just sort of he went and as I said like, he just sort of <clears throat> I think he gave it sort of lip service almost to what he was doing um, and this time it was kind of he wanted to change I suppose you, you know if something gets so bad you you know it has to change sometimes I think he, he sort of found that resolve and you know so far so good with him sort of things but it's been a lot better that's good 
like I say, it's good that you were there to support him because like I suppose a lot of people don't have anybody. It's like, what do they do? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's my god? I've got so you, we sort of touched on this already, but is is there anything now in football that wasn't in place with regards to mental health that there didn't used to be in football? Is there anything like because I think again when I spoke to Carl Robinson, um, who's at Oxford now, is yeah. it? Um, I think because of his wife, they've instilled a lot of like the stuff that she does in, into the club. Is there anything like that at Duns or is is in generally else in football? Is it is that quite a like rare thing? Would you think? Yeah, I mean, I think under Carl we had a psychologist that would come in um, once, twice a week, wasn't it? Something like that. And uh, just if you want to speak to him, you could speak to him. No, there was no pressure. Just like if you fancied a chat, he was there and obviously trained to sort of get you talking, sort of thing. You go and talk to him. Um, but in honesty, not many players took it like took it up on it. It was a lot felt like he was <clears throat> kind of. It, couldn't trust him in case he went back to Carl or didn't want to say anything. So there was still there was that still kind of I think Carl was trying to break down a few barriers and but the way he was was the way the players were I should say was still quite resistant to it and you know, why is, why does he want to speak to me for what have I done wrong and it's just like it's just a chat like you know it wasn't anything there was no blame or fault you know just gonna have a chat but I think people were still really wary of it and then since then we've not really done a lot um, nothing I can think of off the top of my head I think. I think probably the styles of managers is probably the thing that's changed most where like they are approachable now. Mm. Like I think a lot of um people in the past like like you wouldn't knock on the manager's door to say, I'm having a bit of trouble with something or, you know, I need I need a bit of time off or I need you no know, any of those kind of things where I think now, um especially the last three or four managers, I would definitely say that I'd feel comfortable knocking on their door with a problem. Um I think the newer breed definitely is like we had Russ here. Russ was really, really, really like empathetic. Uh, empathetic, that's what it is, isn't it? Um, you know, he was really big. He speaks about emotions a lot in team talks. Um, so it, that kind of language is creeping in where beforehand, you know, there was no <laughs> the emotion was like get out there, first tackle, smash him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, first ball, and like they let them know all that kind of stuff. When now, like in team talks, you know, right up to the you go out. There's there's stuff about emotion now. I think it's changing, but I wouldn't say there's actually anyone per se to deal with any problem if there was. But I think it is slowly getting that way. Because it must be quite hard. Because it's like if you've got a psychologist come into the club, like you said, it's like, can I trust that person for it to not go anywhere? Um, and it's kind of like, I guess some workplaces, like some of my work offers like counselling sessions for like people like privately, and you're like. Shit, does that go back to my boss? It's like, and you don't want anybody else to find out about it, yeah. do you? But it's like, in even in you see in like the documentaries that come out on Prime, like with the Arsenal one and mm. like Tottenham one and stuff like that, that the the managers are quite. I don't know about Tottenham because Mourinho's a bit, <laughs> isn't it? but you can see that the the passion and emotion is like more visible, I yeah. think, than it used to be. Um, and again. I, bit of a tedious reference but like Ted Lasso you, like, you, you see like they bring a psychologist into the club in, in, in that programme and like it sort of opens your eyes up a little bit <coughs> my, what might happen yeah um, and again I don't know if you, do you do you remember a footballer called Carlos Arba yeah so I, I, I had him on the, 
um, first series because um, you used to play for Gillingham and I was like, oh, yeah. like it's literally like one of my biggest <laughs> idols is a Gillingham fan um, and he, he sort of said like oh yeah we there was no like um, there was no like bad vibes or like people suffering with mental illnesses or anything like that in football at the time but I think I feel like from what you've said it's changed in, in the way that like you, you're not scared to speak to one another so like, if you do like have something on your mind you'll just go and talk to the manager or you'll go and talk to any yeah. teammates whereas I feel like it's come a long way over the past 20 years in terms of like what you can and can't talk about yeah I mean we had um, we had the PFA the PFA sends one every year at the start of the season to say um, any sort of issues on that on that front um, I think it's a, the Tony Adam clinic is set up and it's all funded for PFA people and stuff like that and uh, there's a I think there's a helpline I think it's 24 hours a day helpline um, for people to ring and they say you know, if everyone's got any problems you, know, you can put your hand up now if you want to say something and without fail everyone sits there and wants to get to meet him but I was on the PFA rep so I get to speak to these people after and they said <coughs> uh, at most clubs they'll get, they'd only get two or three phone calls after the meeting um, just people ring up being like you know, I didn't want to put my hand up but can I talk and so I think the initial reach out is always going to be a bit frosty because of just the, the environment and, as I said, like the context of how you're trying to work and stuff. But I think if you offer the channels on the side, and I think especially uh, PFA are really good because it's non, it stays with that person. You can ring up and you know. I think when a club tries to bring someone in, you're always worried about, it. like you said, where does this go? Like I don't want to, I don't want to say too much in case. You know, would he? I don't know this fellow well, Woody told the gaffer so I think the PFA is a really good one that um, they have those that support there and I think it is getting taken up more more and more but it's just maybe not so well known or people won't you know admit to using to using it it's a bit of a random one <laughs> what's your happiest place in the world happiest place um It'd probably be two. It'd rather be if it was work-related, then it'd be it'd be the stadium. It'd be on the pitch at the stadium. Like the happy, like when you're playing football or doing that, is the happiest that I am. To be fair, like it's just but in a work setting. Like so obviously, it's you know you're playing football. It's not. It feels like it's life and death, but it's not. You know, it is, it is football and um, it's great. It's life. And then if I was at home, it'd probably be. Um, so opposite my house we have the like the North Downs in Surrey sort of and uh, there's like farms with just little paths through the villages sort of that we'd walk down there and stuff um, so like, we go over there two or three times a week with the girls on their bikes just walking just countryside nature just I'd probably say that's probably best just having a stroll on a Sunday with, with the girls on their bikes and stuff it's normally always yeah, pretty good it's a good answer yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and if there's one piece of advice you'd give to the person listening to this if they might be struggling what would it be? It'd be to reach out I think always you know sometimes there's, there's so many sayings of like, problem shared problem half all that kind of stuff but in a way it does kind of work I think you know if you can find someone that you trust and speak to people I think people are um, a lot more understanding and a lot more willing to help than people realise and I think if you um and if you do reach out to someone, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're trying to do the best for you, and you know, try and help you as much as you can. And um, probably 
half the stuff that you're going through, they've probably gone through a little bit themselves, you know, and they just don't say anything. So I think, you know, just reach out and make that first effort if you're struggling and, and, and talk to people. And I've asked you my questions now. But is there <laughs> anything that I've not asked you that you wanted to speak about at all? Um, I don't know that I can think of. Uh, no. No, I think we're pretty good. This is anything you want. To... I've got a quick fire round, but it's it's, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just run for it. So the first one is plan ahead or take each day as it comes. Plan ahead. Phone call or text message. Phone call. Walk on the beach or climbing a mountain. Oh, probably neither for me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> more more of a climb a mountain guy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good book or good film film thoughtful message or unexpected gift message and then last one money or happiness both would be nice but uh, <laughs> happiness and that's it thank, thanks so much mate no, thank you for me that was a lovely lovely chat and um, yeah thank you for being like so open and yeah answering all my questions yeah no worries <laughs> <laughs> That was the stress sessions with club captain for MK Dons and hopefully soon to be record holder, Dean Lewington. Love chatting to Dean, lovely guy. It's the second footballer I've spoken to on the stress session, second current footballer. Um, and do you know what? Like for, for somebody that's still playing to be that open, it was great. And it's good to see and hear so many footballers in, in the current game that are opening up with their struggles. I mean, we've seen it with players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who plays for Everton. He's opened up about his, his struggles in the past and, and, and others, obviously, Deli Alley, local, local lads um, for MK Dons, and he's, he's now at Everton. He's, he's opened up recently and has gone through some really, really tough times as, as a child and then growing up into his adult career. Um, but this, this is what it's all about. We need to keep talking about stuff like this and we need to keep talking about it. Not just to keep banging and banging on and get people being like, oh, why, why, is it, why, is, why is he still talking about These conversations are still not normal. People still struggle to talk about their mental health and no matter how much the media promotes it and there's programmes on TV and there's people like me that do great podcasts outside of the stress sessions we need to keep talking about it we need to keep talking about it to our families our friends and just make it like an everyday conversation that you can just speak to people about and I've had very very recent experiences of, of people that have been struggling with their mental health that haven't spoken about it and it would be so much easier to help them if they were honest and truthful about how, what they were going through so please keep speaking keep talking about it and I say this at this point in every episode but I'm not a professional never claim to be all of the stuff that I talk about and that my guests speak about are just personal experiences we're not we're not doctors we're not therapists or anything like that so if you are struggling and you're listening to this or you know somebody that is, please, please speak up, get the help. 
that you, that you need and see a professional go and go and see your your local doctor um there's lots and lots of amazing charities out there that you can speak to i mean off the top of my head i can name calm who are a men's mental health charity there's give us a shout which is a sort of text web-based service there's the samaritans obviously that do amazing work there's there's so many amazing charities out there that, that you can get help through um and obviously there's counselling um, that you can you can get through the NHS. I don't know what the waiting list is like at the minute, um, or you can or you can pay for it if you're lucky enough to pay for it. But help is there, helps there. And what what I'm going to end this episode with is a phrase that I've thought in my head a lot recently because it's applied quite a lot to my life. I think over the last sort of probably couple of months year i don't know like it, it i don't know it just feels very relevant to me but even if you're taking a step back or two steps back from a situation um that you're struggling with and then make one step forward that's still progress so even if it feels like you're going backwards with something you still can move forward because that step back might be necessary to then make that step forward. And even if you don't make that step forward and you make a sideways move, that's still another move. You're still you're still trying to get better. So even if it doesn't feel like things are great at the minute and you've you've tried to make things better, keep going because there's only you you you're only one step away from 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 starting that journey to getting better again and I, I felt like that at times I felt like I've been getting nowhere with my mental health and I've been struggling and been in a deep deep hole um with my thoughts and feelings and sometimes you just stumble upon something that helps sometimes you do something that helps and like for me this year it's it's stuff like doing the the cold water swimming that I've started doing and I started playing football again and just doing little things look making little changes making little adjustments to your life you might need to keep trying with it but you'll get there you will get there and I've I've felt a few times where I'm at that point of I can't be asked for this anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Done with life. And you just need to keep going because that that good thing is is there. It's it might seem really fucking small at the minute, but it's there. So please, please keep going. If you're really struggling, please get the help that you need. And this is a bit of a fucking depressing end to an episode, isn't it? But it's it's just. It's needed, but it's it's needed. It's that it needs to be said. Um, let's end this on a happy note. I don't know how I'm going to end it on a happy note, but I don't know where this is going. This podcast, but it's it's helped me a lot, and I really hope that it's helped some others. I know it's helped some other people, but if you can share this or if you you know somebody that you think oh this this podcast is all right 
I think it's helped me a bit. I think it can help somebody else. Please pass it on. And I don't really, I've never really asked for people to share it or anything like that. I've asked it in a few episodes, but if you think this episode, other episodes that you've listened to might help, please share it um, or leave a review or I don't know if you can like podcasts. I don't even do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything like that. Who knows? I'm not sure. I'm not very technical. Um, but yeah, please do what you can to share the podcast. And who knows? I might do more of these. I'm not sure at the minute. I don't know. I don't know where I want to take it. But for now, like it's been an absolute pleasure doing this intro, doing this outro because I, I feel like I've got to. Um, speak a bit which is good but yeah let's end this let's end this podcast just spoke to Dean Lewington he's about to break his record so amazing and it's the festive period so if you listen to this and it's it's around Christmas have a lovely lovely Christmas have a lovely festive period I hope that 2024 is amazing for you and hopefully you'll hear from me in the future so yeah have a great day and I'll chat to you again soon. See you later.